it has been, whew. how many have been at the Prothumia studies? Worth the price of admission? Yeah. Everybody's going to, well, what it cost to get in? It didn't cost anything. And so you got two more left in you, right, Brad? And then some. <laughs> well, we're glad they're always glad there's going to be something left over. Uh, when Brad is done, we're going to take a couple-week hiatus, and then on 11, 18, and 25 of March, I'm going to be teaching the Prothumia study. And for lack of a better title this morning, it's going to be called Sex and the Gospel. How's that? I mean, if we can't get people out for that. And what we're going to be doing is looking at God's plan. Why God created the sexes, why he gave us a sexuality, why he guards that beautiful and powerful gift of sex between people with the marriage bond. It was so powerful and so precious that he said, this is where it's, this is the only safe place to enjoy my gift. So we're going to be talking about that. The first week we're going to be talking about God's loving and logical limits. Why did God say, hear no and hear yes? And what are the consequences when we violate those limits? Second week, we're going to be looking at the 12 things that constitute a pair bond. From the very first time a man and a woman ever look at each other and that first spark of interest to number 12, which I think you can guess what that is. And let me tell you this. Whenever you take step 12 and put it anywhere along the continuum of this pair bond, you compromise the integrity of the bond. So we're going to be talking about that. What constitutes pair bonding in God's eyes and according to the scripture? And then the last week, we're going to deal with some healing. What's happened if uh, I have violated God's law in this regard through either premarital or extramarital sex? Uh, how do we find God's healing? How do we get back on track and enjoy the gift that he's given us to its fullest? And so I think we're going to have a good time together for three Sunday nights. As, and the, the whole thing's being based on passage out of the 13th chapter of Hebrews that says, and the marriage bed is holy and undefiled, and God's call is for us to keep it that way. We live in a culture that's doing anything but respecting God's will and God's way in this regard, and it has hurt us, not just out there, but it's hurt us in the church as well, and God wants to bring healing, and this is a good place for high schoolers, for uh, you don't have to be married to come to this because you can learn some stuff that maybe you can avoid some of the pitfalls that some of the rest of us are falling into along this path. So that'll be the 11th through the 25th. There'll be more word on it. But tonight, 530, Loving and Logical Limits, Brad Beer continuing on with our apologetic study. And before we get into the word this morning, Pastor John, our youth pastor, has something he wants to share with you. Good morning. As Wayne said, I'm the youth pastor. I pastor the youth. Um, I just want to take time to share a little bit about uh, my ministry at this church and also some stuff that's coming up pretty soon here. <clears throat> I teach three times a week. On Wednesdays, we have um, our youth group. 
for middle school, which comes at 5.30, and then we have high school immediately after at 7.15, and I teach at both of those. Uh, how the format works is kids come, we play a bunch of games, and hopefully no one gets hurt, and then we, um, we have worship, and it's student-led. The team is led by um, Ryan Gilpin right now, and we have a bunch of kids who are talented musically and with their voices, and then we have a time of teaching. Um, we go deep in the Word. We are also kind of going through apologetic series uh, in tangent with Prothumia, and we've been talking about what is the Bible, and uh, we went through a study about how you read the Bible, how you exegete, um, how you do uh, exegesis, not eisegesis. We use all those big words and define them, which is kind of fun. Um, and we recently talked about what are the rational arguments for the existence of God, that, man, we go through some good stuff. And um, on top of topical, we also go through books of the Bible. We work verse by verse, pa or passage by passage, and we really... Uh, we want to know what is the author trying to communicate and learning not to take passages, passages out of context. I also teach uh, Sundays with 5th uh, through 8th grade, which is exactly where I'm going right after this. And, um, and throughout the year, we have events that are focused around community, about service, uh, evangelism. For the past three years, we've taken our high schoolers uh, to Dominican Republic and seen tremendous growth and using that as a, a means of making disciples. And we're looking at a couple more things coming up. Uh, one of those things that is coming up is on Ski Skate Week, which blows my mind that a school has Ski Skate Week just to go skiing. It wasn't like that for me, but it's pretty cool. Um, we have, during that week, our Palm Springs trip for our high schoolers. Um, some of you are like, why are you going to Palm Springs? That's where I vacation. Well, we're actually going there because James Gordon and his ministry, New Air Outreach, is located down there. He's moved his family to Palm Springs from San Diego, and he is the same guy we work with in the Dominican Republic. And so we go down there with the idea of, um, of service and evangelism, and he hooks us up with a bunch of nonprofits. Last year, we went to this ministry that we made all these food boxes, and we actually went to a trailer park, went home to home, delivering these boxes of food to these families in need. And the kids were challenged, like, when you deliver this food, you have to um, ask the people, hey, what can we pray for you for? And they actually, the students had to be the ones praying for the families. Just huge impacts as we work um, for local churches and schools and painting. Uh, last year, we were uprooting tons of bushes, and, man, we work them hard. And along the way is is tied to our teaching. And we have at least two or three uh, Bible studies, devotions every single day on that trip. And we tie it into, yes, you are called to serve, you are called, called to serve one another, which I know Wayne loves. Um, and we give a, an avenue to practice what we learn. And so if you are, if you have a high schooler or you know a family that has a high schooler, um, at the info booth, there is a sheet here that talks about the vision and the agenda, all the info that you need as well as um, a packing list. A second thing that we're doing right now for the youth group is we're updating our liability form. So if your kid is coming to any of our events, it doesn't matter, uh, we need this filled out, which is awesome at the info booth. Um, and lastly, one thing I'm trying to get better at is um, communicating to the body what is happening with our kids and our group, what is being taught, what events are going on. And so what we're starting is an email list um, that you can sign up for. Uh, it has just your information about who you are, your number, your email. And we're going to be getting a constant contact 
um, for you as a church. You don't even have to have kids uh, a part of our group. If you just want to be informed about what is happening, what is being taught, what is being done, um, we're going to be getting a constant contact with all the information that's going to go out for the body. And lastly, there's so many more things I can say, but I won't. Um, lastly, we uh, every trip we have this awesome bus that we use to taxi kids around. We haven't been able to find a driver, and uh, so I've been scrambling to find someone who's got their passenger's license. But if you are a person who can drive and has five days free, uh, the 19th through the 23rd, you will be my best friend. Um, otherwise, I'm going to plan like we don't have a driver, and I actually need people to sacrifice time and to drive these kids down. We have about 25 kids who will be going. Uh, we need vehicles. We need people. We need chaperones. And if you are a parent or someone who says, I don't know what goes on Wednesday nights or in these events, my kids go, ask me questions. These emails will help you inform. But also, we invite you to come uh, any Wednesday and check out what's going on, the kids. Uh, we have a broad range of kids, some who are not saved. We have kids who are dealing with uh, abuse, dealing with drugs, dealing with alcohol. Uh, we have kids that are products of broken homes and working through that stuff, all the way up to disciple uh, building students who love the Lord. And it's just a vast need. There's a need, and I want you to be aware of that. If you have any questions or if you're parenting up questions, I'm always open to come speak to me in my office. And, um, yeah, we just want to get better at communicating what God is doing, but also the need. So thank you. Other than that, he doesn't do anything. Let's open our Bibles this morning to John, the 14th chapter. Uh, Pastor Jesse and Allie this week had a little boy that had to have a medical procedure, and so after last Sunday, uh, Jesse asked me if I would preach on this Sunday, the next passage, following along where he was last week, and then... I got to looking at what it was, and it took my breath away then, and all week long I've been pondering these words. This is probably one of the most incredible passages in all of the scripture, with some of the greatest claims that have ever been made by man on the face of this earth. So would you stand with me as we honor God's word, standing and reading together? We'll begin in John 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And Father, we pause over probably the greatest statement that was ever made by man on earth. A statement that in our day and age of many ways, many paths, many truths sounds terribly narrow and confining. Spirit of the living God, I ask today that through the proclamation of this word in faith that you would convict, first of all, those who may be on the fence or who may be searching, checking out this way and comparing it to that way. Show them, dear God, today that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And then even for us as Christians, dear Lord, those of us who make a claim, but who are not left unswayed by the currents of the world and its philosophies and its culture. Father, we have many men today standing in pulpits across our land who would make a claim to faith in Christ, but who have unequivocally said, well, he's my way not he is the way, leaving open up the door for all sorts of things to come in. Father, you know that as a church it is our desire to stand true and faithful to this word, to live for it, if necessary, to die for it, as we come to the one who walks with us, who indeed is, the way, and the truth, and the life. It's in his name we do pray. Amen. You may be seated. Years ago, one of my dear friends, an old English evangelist who's 
gone to be with the Lord, Leonard Ravenhill, he talked about that the office of the preacher is the office where a dying man speaks to dying people. <laughs> and somehow or other in the last few years, I have become ever more convinced that our times are in God's hands and we make our plans within his grace. And I have tried to come to this pulpit with this little caveat stuck back here in my mind. I want to preach to you today as if it will be the last message I will ever preach on this earth. That means I don't want to leave things unsaid that need to be said, undone that need to be done. That if the Lord should say, Wayne, it's time to come home this afternoon, I can go with confidence and stand in his presence. And this is one of those passages of scripture that comes into the culture in the day and age in which we live and it wreaks havoc. But before I wreak any more havoc, I want to just bring a couple other things to your mind. When you study the Gospels, you find many times where the disciples are listening and they are watching, but when the, whatever's happening is done, whatever has been said is done, they're clueless. They're clueless. You know, I think of the time that Jesus feeds the 5,000. They, uh, they're in the boat going someplace, and, and Jesus says, Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciple says, We didn't bring any bread. <laughs> you know, on the night of the Last Supper, Jesus is bearing his soul, his last time to really talk with these guys before the crucifixion. And what are they worried about? Well, who's going to rank the highest when we get to heaven? Just not there. And the Bible tells us this. It says, but they understood none of these things, and they did not grasp what was said. There were so many times that the disciples did not understand what Jesus was saying, did not understand some of the things that he was doing. But much of the mystery came into focus following Christ's resurrection from the dead. And we read this. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So, following the resurrection of Christ, following the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the disciples had a whole bunch of aha moments. That's what he meant when he said that. That's what he was trying to get us to see when he took us there. That's what he was trying to get us to grasp in that situation. And we start off a passage here today that does the same thing to him. This passage that we've read, Jesus' words are strange. They're foreign once again. And what's he mean? He's talking about going away. Where in the world is he going? He's talking about building a house for us, wherever it is he's going. And says that whenever it's done, he'll come back and get us. They, are, they, they don't know what's going on. And, and the statement 
and you know the way to where I am going, was more than Thomas could bear. And so he finally says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And what was Jesus' response? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Just to nail this down a little bit more, what Jesus is saying here is, I am the only way. I am the only truth. I am the only life. And no person that has ever walked or will walk the face of this earth will come into a relationship with their Creator and Father if they don't come through me. And I know what that sounds like in the day of in the day of many truths in the day of many ways. And that's what we get when we step outside of this door, don't we? That's what we get. This is a very exclusive claim that our Lord has made. But I want you to know that these religions and these philosophies do not stand on equal footing with Christianity. They're not the same. They are not just different paths to God. The apostles later would say it like this, and there is salvation in... Come on. No one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How do you interpret no one else, Andy? There is no one else. There is no other name. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all lords. He is the King of all kings. And let's go back to where we started a few weeks ago in the book of John. Back to John chapter 1. And let's again read these words because we were being told this from the get-go. It's just the way that Jesus throws it out here. It kind of catches our breath because of the time and place and circumstances that he is now speaking. But we were told this up front. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. The word and the word. And this is the same word in verse 1. And the word became flesh. We call this the incarnation. This is God taking on human flesh and coming to this earth 
and walking among us. And it says that he dwelt among us. It means he, he pitched his tent in our neighborhood for a season. He dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And it was these exclusive claims, these unique claims concerning the Lord Jesus Christ that caused C.S. Lewis to pen these words. I know it's small up there. It's in your study guide. And this is one of the most profound statements of the 20th century in regards to Jesus' claim to be God, the way, the truth, and the life. I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. In my 41 years of pastoral ministry, I've had a lot of philosophical conversations with a lot of people both in my office and out. And I remember two ladies in particular that for some reason they needed to have a chunk of a pastor one day came to my office and they were very caught up into the new age and, uh, you know, had come to talk to me about their enlightenment. And they, they spouted a lot of Jesus. I mean, he was a swell guy. And he said a lot of great things. And so I opened my Bible and I handed it to them, John chapter 14, verse 6, and I asked them to read it out loud, and they did. And I says, what about that? And they says, we don't believe that. Is that right? Is that right? I said, you know, if Jesus would lie about that, he'd lie about anything. You know, you can't have it both ways, sisters. You've either got to chuck him totally and quit spouting his words or you embrace him fully. He's either lunatic, liar, or Lord. And those are your only choices. He didn't mean to leave us any other choices. 
What I want to share with you now, I was not prepared for the response after the last service. But a few nights ago, Sandy and I were sitting on the couch in our family room and doing a little channel surfing and came across the Turner Classic Movies channel and they were showing the movie Woodstock. And we paused for a turn. You see, in August of 1969, more than 400,000 young people gathered on Matt Yasger's farm in upstate New York for three days of peace and music. While this was happening in New York, I was a Navy boot in uh, San Diego, California, going to boot camp at that time, but very aware of what was happening 3,000 miles away in New York. After boot camp and after hospital corps school, Sandy and I were transferred to Portsmouth, Virginia, and later that year, the movie and the album of Woodstock were released. Sandy and I went to the movie, maybe even more than once, bought the album and about wore it out. Because at that time, it was so cool. It was so revolutionary. It was so life-changing and so historic. But as I watched that movie once again, 48 years after it happened, my heart was breaking in my chest, and I couldn't stand it. Sandy and I talked about how many of the musicians who, at whose feet the 400,000 were gathered would die sad and tragic deaths in the near future. We listened. They interviewed a lot of people in the crowd. It wasn't just the music. And we, we listened to those teens and 20-somethings pontificate. And the more they pontificated, the more my heart ached because they were so sure they were on the right path. There were several of these kids that had come from, you could tell, from Christian homes. And they would ask them, well, what do your parents think about this? And they said, well, my parents are having a hard time with my lifestyle now, my living situation and my drug usage. And my heart ached. Israel's wisest king, Solomon, the son of David, once wrote these haunting words. There is a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. So convinced was Solomon of this truth, he, he, he wrote it twice, in chapter 14 and chapter 16. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. The ways of man lead to death. The way of Christ leads to life. Shortly before his death in 1984, Francis Schaeffer spoke about the shifting tides in our society, the tides that brought about such things as Woodstock. And with tears in his eyes, I remember him saying, the search that was, that was happening in the 60s, the search was an honest search 
the questions were honest questions that needed to be asked. But he said the problem was the circle started here and here goes the search and here, here it is right here and it goes all the way around and all the way around and ends up here. It didn't complete the circle. It fell short. The longings were real. The search was real. The, the, it was real. The questions were real. They were important. Full circle and yes. In the late 60s and 70s, out of the peace and love movement sprang another movement. Through the Jesus movement, thousands of disillusioned young people found true peace and true love in the one who is the way and the truth and the life. And that's where Sandy and I were redeemed. In the midst of all of the peace and love, we were introduced to the one who was true. we haven't let go since that day. I had several people on the way out today. It's probably an older crowd here this morning in the earlier service. They said, Woodstock messed me up. And they said that that was a place in their life that they just went, went whole hog. And then one other person came out and said something, and I, did, I didn't realize this. You know, the other night we watched the the opening ceremonies of the Olympics. I mean, they were incredible. Boy, what a techno show. But do you remember what the main song in the opening ceremony of, what was it, David? John Lennon's song, Imagine. I hate that song. I hate that song. I hate that song, and it's everything which we're talking about today. Imagine. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no hell. Imagine there's no God. Imagine there's no countries. Imagine, 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 imagine. I don't mean to be flippant here, but I think John Rellin would probably change the lyrics if he had a chance to write them again today. But that's the world we're living in. And it's the world of many options. It's the world of many ways. There's but one way. I used to sing it as a child in Sunday school. One door and only one. And yet its sides are two. Inside and outside. On which side are you? There's only one door. There's only one Lord. There's only one Savior. There's only one path to the heart of God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And that is through the man, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no other options, my friend. There are no other options. That's part of our message to a world out here that's seeking the way of the month club. There are no other options. And as monumental as these words to, to Thomas are, 
Jesus was just getting warmed up. Because he says back in John chapter 14, verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. You know, it's almost as if, you know, here's this, this whole father talk here and Philip's almost saying, he said, if you'll just show us the father, we won't ask any more questions. Show us the father and it'll be enough for us. Well, if we went back into the Old Testament and I know Philip and all of his buddies were, were aware of this. Moses one day asked to see God. And God says, can't do. Because you'll die. And when we go through the Old Testament, almost every time somebody comes into some altercation with God in this supernatural way, they're either on their face calling for the temple to cave in on their head saying, woe is me for I am undone because I'm a man of unclean lips. Or something else, they're, they're trembling at the foot of a mountain where God has come down. And all of a sudden, Jesus says to Philip, 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 have I been with you so long that you don't get it yet? Verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. <laughs> Philip was looking into the face of God and had been for the last three years. I don't know if we can appreciate what's being said here. I don't know if we hear the reverberations of like a hammer breaking through stone. We get so familiar with these lines. If you've seen me, you've seen the face of God. Remember what we read in John? No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. A little clearer maybe in the NASB. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God. Who is the only begotten God? Come on. Jesus, that's right. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. You see, Jesus, the God-man who came to this earth, he had sat in the presence. He was part of that presence. He was part of that wonderful Father, Son, and Holy Ghost that had been, always been, and ever would be. And he came to this earth in the form of a man, and he began to teach his teachings and do his things, and everything that he was doing was revealing the God of the universe. But they didn't get it yet. They didn't get it yet. This is why Jesus could say this, and this is eternal life that they may know you, what's the next words? And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Can I ask you a question today? How many only true gods can there be? Don't you forget that. 
because the world outside of our door is offering options and saying all the paths are leading to the summit of the same mountain. Jesus said, there is only one path to eternal life, life beyond this world, life that is everlasting. And it's through the only true God, the one and only true God, who has revealed himself in his only begotten Son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My friends, there is only one true God has revealed himself in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are no other options. And I know what that sounds like in today's environment. It's calculated to offend We can go from this place and have a God conversation with a hundred different people. But when we bring Jesus to the table, the options narrow considerably. And who is it that takes forth this message? It's you. I don't have time to get into the last verses of this chapter because they need some unpacking. But I do want to tell you this. When Jesus Christ the man walked the face of this earth, he was the only man on the planet that was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit when he came up out of the waters of baptism and the dove descended upon him. We know that because the Spirit then drove him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. But Jesus, the man, was just like you. He could only be in one place at once. Only one room, only one boat, only one hillside. But something unique happened after his death, burial, and resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead fell on an upper room in Jerusalem and all of a sudden, we go from one spirit-filled man on the planet to 120. And before the day was over, it went from 120 to 3,000. And before the week was over, it went from 3,000 to 5,000. Men and women, boys and girls, now filled with the same spirit that filled the Lord Jesus Christ, began to fan out. And today, in literally every corner of the earth, there are men and women and boys and girls who know the Lord Jesus Christ and they are filled with his spirit. And that, my friend, makes it possible that every morning when you and I get out of bed, the potential for the greater work of what Jesus, ta Jesus talked about is in you and in me and in the countless millions that are out there now filled with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It was his strategy it is so unique. It is so powerful. It, and we are the army that goes forth now to proclaim 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. God created mankind in his image and he created them blameless and without spot, but they rebelled and they sinned and that sin, that, that stain stuck to their progeny so that you and I were born in a sinful state and in a sinful way. And there was only one way. I mean, either we're going to pay for our sins or somebody else is going to. And God's plan was to come himself to this earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, live a perfect life in our stead and on our behalf, and then offer up that sinless life as a sacrifice for the likes of us that couldn't keep his law. And then he says, whosoever will may come. My sin was nailed to that cross. Your sin was nailed to that cross. It was there. And the Father accepted that offering on your behalf. And the proof of the pudding is the resurrection from the dead. When Jesus came out of the grave victorious over death and hell, it was the good housekeeping stamp of approval that the Father said, I accept it. I accept it for Steve. I accept it for John. I accept it for Andy. He even accepted it for you. Amen? Amen. And now what do we do once this is in our heart and we know the truth? We follow Jesus and make disciples. We go out and we share. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. Inside and outside, and which side are you? But just as soon as your feet hit the parking lot out here, someone's going to call you a narrow-minded, bigoted Bible thumper. <laughs> it's the truth. And I just wanted to share that with you today in case this is the last sermon I ever preach. Let's pray. Father in heaven, let these words percolate from head to heart. I pray, Lord, if there is anybody here today that is not yet sold on the idea that Jesus is who he claimed to be, Spirit of the living God, bring him home. Show them that uh, Jesus came to this earth for them. He died for them. He rose for them. He now lives for them. He wants to give them the gift of eternal life. And perhaps there's some of us here that we would make the claim to be a Christian and say, well, it's my way, but we equivocate a little bit on this. Uh, not quite ready to nail it clear down and say the only way. Father, we need to live with that truth in our hearts and we need to live boldly. And I'm not saying boldly in a way that we go out and become some kind of a pain in the neck for those that don't know you but with the confidence that fills us because the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead lives in us that we may from this day forth find a greater strength and boldness to take the stand for him in here, out there, at work, at play, among our family, among our friends. And let us not be ashamed of the one who is the way, the truth and the life, the only way. Father.